Are you ready? <laughs> I know about uh, you over there. You need a little more soup. <laughs> Early to bed. I'm sorry. Um, I don't even have to ask this question. But do you recall a particular time in your life when it was really difficult? I see a few of you nodding. Do you recall a lengthy time, protracted time, where you almost felt you were despairing of God's promises to you, his favor upon you? You began to wonder if your prayer life made any difference. Was God hearing you? You had your own reasons and arguments to wonder what, um, why God would not come and save you, help you. In the Christian life, we struggle with the understanding and acceptance of God's providences. If we have a hard time sometimes trusting our fellow man, it's no surprise that we also, even as Christians, born again, regenerate, men and women, sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, also struggle trusting Him. We know in the head, but do we feel in the heart that God is with us? I find it comforting to know that it is not just the church on earth that struggles like that, but when you read on from chapter 5 into chapter 6 and onward, there is also a sense that those in heaven, the saints, are saying in chapter 6, verse 10, How long, Lord? How long before you change things? Before you rule through your justice over all the nations and you make right every wrong? Not only that happens in the world generally, but as the saints are saying, every wrong that was done to us by the world. I do find that comforting because sometimes I have a sense of heaven that is sort of ethereal, it is abstract, it is lacking concreteness to it. Um, but in heaven, there is reality that is not just completely cut off from what we can experience as real, but the saints in heaven, the living creatures, the 24 elders, they have an, an experience to which we can relate somehow, but also and always for us, it is so partial, isn't it? The judgments must be unfolding before Christ return and make all things new. And these judgments must unfold and they will unfold because of Christ's victory. And so I have three thoughts. I put them in just uh, simple terms. We look at the search, we look at the lamb, and we look at the new song. 
as we read this passage, you see immediately what's going on. It says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Again, it's that vague reference to God. I would say God the Father, who is on the throne. Uh, he is on the throne, and a scroll written within and on the back, reference to Ezekiel 2, uh, sealed with seven seals. That's an additional aspect that we are getting from this passage. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a, with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep. Why is John weeping? Well, he's weeping because he is in the spirit, we read earlier. And he is aware, he understands that there is something that is holding back, holding up that which must unfold. And if it is held back, and if it will not be resolved, then the ultimate end cannot be the return of Christ when God makes all things right and we live, those who are his, in that world of perfection. And so where is that person who is qualified? Well, he is the same person who was found qualified to be the savior of mankind. After all, no one amongst humanity was qualified to be the savior and deliverer of sinners. Not even angels were good enough. And so Christ was found. Christ volunteered the mission that none of us would have. I'm quite confident. And he did what he did for us as the God-man, God in the flesh. And he was approved of God. And he was qualified eminently. Our catechism puts that very well where you read on that. Uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism. But he is found to be worthy to be man's deliverer. He is the same one who is now found because it sounds like, and maybe we shouldn't read too much into these details, ap it's apocalyptic literature, right? Uh, it's not like you uh, read something in the newspaper and it gives you a detailed factual account of, let's say, an accident that happened. You know, you'll find out what time it happened who it was, uh, who were involved, and, and so forth. Uh, it, is, it is the language of the apocalyptic, but um, uh, we are getting a sense that there is sort of a search going on. And, uh, and they go to all the places of the universe, wherever a person could be found, an angel, an archangel, uh, others who were created by God, and then, of course, on the earth, and we are assuming that that refers to people, human beings, and, uh, and no one is capable. Nobody is qualified. And that is what causes him to weep. And it says he, he wept loudly. Uh, the sense is that he, he kept on weeping. He was weeping uncontrollably because John realizes that this person must be found or else the rest can't come about. Nowhere was one found not anywhere. And so John weeps.
makes me think about those situations in life where you uh, are aware of something that is really urgent. You know, you have a sense that, you know, uh, the time, you know, the, the, the seconds are ticking away, the minutes are ticking away, and there's something that is going to happen, uh, let's say, at 11 o'clock. And if your issue isn't resolved by 11 o'clock, then what? There's urgency. Lord, what if you don't come through? Lord, what if that person isn't found who is worthy, qualified to receive from the hand of him who sits on the throne, the scroll that has, that contains God's perfect will? I would say that that is probably pretty closely the meaning of that there is this scroll in God's hand that is written on the inside and the outside to suggest that there is, uh, God has not left anything out. There is not left anything to chance. It is uh, containing God's perfect will from the very first detail to the very last one by which that whole will is fulfilled at the end. Um, and it needs to be given to someone who will open that book, open God's will, reveal God's will for the end times of this world because it has seals on it. Uh, it. It is a document that ought not to be opened by just anyone. You must be qualified. You must be approved, as it were. And so this person needs to be found, and he isn't anywhere. And the clock keeps ticking. What if, Lord? And so he weeps. And he weeps. Because no one is found. But then one of the elders, one of the 24 elders, comes alongside him, shall we say. And he sees that John is weeping. And he said to him, weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The good news continues, doesn't it? Good news starts in Genesis 1, and it ends at the last verse of Revelation 22. It's all good news when God speaks his words, and sometimes of judgment as well to his people, because God's grace trumps and triumphs over our sins and our misery. And so the lamb is found qualified and he's referred to as the root of David the lion of the tribe of Judah as I said these are not literal quotations from an Old Testament passage but they are certainly and definitely inescapably making reference to Old Testament language pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and so the root of David the lion of the tribe of Judah is of course our Savior Jesus Christ and so he is the one who is found. And so when Jesus is present, when Jesus is approved, when Jesus is ready to go, uh, because he is qualified, he's equipped, he's ready to be the savior of the world who comes to cast judgment on the world, then there is no more reason for weeping. Yeah, we will weep, of course, the church will weep throughout the ages until Jesus comes again because we don't like to be uh, made fun of. We don't like to be ridiculed. 
We don't like to be persecuted. Uh, it may be fairly subtle here in the western part of the world, uh, but in other parts of the world, our brothers and sisters are certainly suffering even today. They may be in prison. Uh, they may be falsely accused. They may lose their jobs. Uh, all because of righteousness sake. They are suffering for the gospel and they're hurting and their families are hurting. But to them, the word comes as well as it comes to us today in our setting. Weep no more. Well, do you take that seriously? Do I take that seriously? When I am in distress, when I'm saying, Lord, it's really close to 11 o'clock. Weep no more. Why? Because God says, be, be a man. <laughs> Men don't cry. Um, no, that is human. We do weep, we cry. Of course we do. But this is about something else. This is a, about your perspective on life, your outlook, your world and life perspective, you might even say. Why are we not to weep? Because the future of this world is not an open-ended question. It has been determined by the one who once came and will come again. And the one who once came will come again because he first came and what he did. He satisfied all of the Father's requirements. He met all the obedience that was required of us that we can't give. And he took it upon himself to fulfill that for all his elect, for all his children, so that we can rejoice today. We can stop weeping about things that aren't even worth weeping about sometimes. But especially because we know that we have a victor on our side, a conqueror, and he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that ought to put our sense of trial and difficulty in perspective. We ought to be people of perspective. We ought to have proportionality to our sufferings in this world. Uh, we are suffering in light of him who has come and who has taken away all cause for weeping that is a weeping of hopelessness and despair because he is the one who is the resurrected one. He is the lamb as it was depicted here. He was slain. But he's standing before the throne because he is alive. And I hope you are alive. I hope you know that you are alive and that aliveness, if I may put it that way, is expressed often in weakness because it is in our weakness that the power of God, the resurrection life of Christ manifests itself. And so we go through our trials, we go through our concerns, we are going through our time, what if, Lord? And we say also, by faith. You are Lord. You are conqueror. You are victor. You are victorious. You have what you said you would do before the cross even. I have overcome the world. 
Christ has overcome death. He has overcome Satan and his power and strength that is given to him. It is finished for him as well in principle. And it will be applied in full when the Lord returns and he and others of the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. But we have the lamb. We have the one who is the root of David, the lion king of the tribe of Judah. He is ours. What relief. Let the judgments come. For they cannot take us away from the hope that we have in Christ. Because we are asking, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. Well, when you pray that biblical phrase, then you're also praying for the judgments to come. For they must come. These are the trials through which the church must go, the believer must go, until we reach the other side, the other shore, and we're with the Lord forever. Psalm 110, verse 1, is the focal point of all redemptive history. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord is on his way. And it will be judgment for the nations. And I don't, I confess that I don't understand all of the details of this book and how it all is supposed to work out. Uh, there are people within the Christian community who have different views. Uh, some have a kind of a linear view. And here's where the Lord Jesus was when he was crucified. And here's where he was when he ascended. And here's where he, um, he is ruling and reigning. And then here's where he, uh, he returns at the end. And uh, then we ask, well, well, are we here? Are we here? Are we here? Um, I am not one of those who thinks that way. I think that this is a message of comfort for the entire church. Because the whole church, it doesn't matter whether you're living under Vespasian and his persecutions or through the uh, inquisition of the medievals or live today somewhere in Saudi Arabia or Iran or whatever place where there's persecution and hardship. The church always says, well, how long, Lord, before you will send your retribution on those who have caused our sufferings and our deaths, literally. The time is coming for the Lord to glorify himself through his judgments that are ongoing and that will culminate um, in the Savior's return. And we all stand, all human beings who ever lived will stand before and will bow down before the throne of him who is seated on the throne and the lamb before him. And so we have a totally different perspective on life. The people that are around sleeping over there they have no sense of what's coming to them. And God has only graciously given that to us. We are no better than anybody else in this world. We are all individually here, together, all of us, we are sinners, unworthy, and justifiably condemned to hell. It's God's grace that he took pity on you. And so why don't you worship him? 
Why don't you give him your whole heart? Why don't you dedicate your life, sanctify your life in all of its aspects to him who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory? What is there in your life that is hindering you from accomplishing God's purposes in your life? For you it is this, for you it is that, for me it is the other thing. But let's have time of reflection. And the Lord's Day is a good day to do that on. And say, what is there in my life, Holy Spirit, so that you can see what's in my life that is not in alignment with your will for me. And that I would be useful to you. And that I would be a worshiper of you. Now, as we gather together on Sunday mornings, but also tomorrow morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday evening, because we have a song to sing. And it's a new song. And it's a new song that never gets old. Remember when you were living, Brenda and Tim and you in the 60s and the 70s? You know, I don't listen to radio much anymore. But, uh, you know, in those days, uh, you would listen to rock music and popular music types. And so this week, number one on the top ten, whatever it was called, is uh, the Beatles or whatever. And uh, with their new song, and it has sold millions. And what happens with that new song, Caleb? It's bent. It gets old. There are golden oldies. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. But what is new in this world gets old pretty quickly. You take, huh? Yes, yeah. Computers, software. Oh, world without end, come. No more trials like that. I don't mean to be disparaging towards your professions if you're in the computer industry, but uh, it'll be a wonderful day when that's all over. <laughs> well, we need to worship the Lord because we have a song to sing. We have a song to sing. What is that song? Well, it's not the Beatles. Let there be. The one who is and who was and who is to come is the song we sing. Because he has come and he is coming again. And when he comes again, then we are going to do exactly what is being done here. We bow down. And we say, we adore you, Lamb of God. We cast our crowns before you because you are worthy. What a day that will be. Because we don't have really anything too much of ourselves to present to him. All that we will present has been given to us in the first place by him and for him. So we have a new song to sing. Do you sing? Do you find yourself singing when you're doing the dishes, when you're driving to work, when you're doing something else? Do you find yourself singing? rejoicing because you of all the billions of people in this world have a song to sing that is about so much more you can't even compare it really but it's about so much more than this world can offer us so we really have to I think dedicate ourselves to this perspective am I thinking rightly about life Am I thinking about my job, my marriage, my children, my everything from the perspective 
that there is a bigger world that is being prepared for us. And that I live from the perspective of the future now, my life, for him, for the Lamb who is eternal and worthy of praise. I thought to myself, if I ever had to write a commentary on the book of Revelation, 98% of all fellow believers would be greatly disappointed <laughs> in that commentary. But I would just have fun entitling it The Worship of the Lamb. That would be good enough for me. And I think that would sell. Now we need a ghostwriter to write the commentary. But isn't so much of the revelation that so many Christians are saying, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Post-millennial, this millennial, the other millennial, a millennial? Isn't so much of it worship? <coughs> worship of the Lamb who stands at the throne and who is equipped to do all these things that need to be done before the glory comes that we are all waiting for. So my friend, if you are in the midst of a trial right now, don't despair. Look to Jesus. He is the author and finisher of the faith. He is the one who holds you in his hand, just like the Father holds his will in his hand at all times. And we are safe. We are safe. Because he holds us. He protects us. We are indeed in God's custody. We are safe forever. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lamb of God whom you sent into the world to save us sinners. Thank you for our brothers and sisters who have ever lived before us. And we thank you for our brothers and sisters who are living here and elsewhere in the world. We thank you, Father, that there will always be a church until the Lord Jesus comes again. And so we pray even now for the future generations who have yet to be born, should the Lord tarry, who will also confess the same name of the Lamb of God. Lord, may there be many. And we pray that you will gather your people throughout the history of your church until it is time for you to return and make all things new. Lord, we long for that day. Give us the strength to persevere and to be faithful to you till the end. And in the process, to not be gloomy, but to instead be those who, despite the trials of life, which are real, and we don't uh, minimize that, Lord, and you don't either, but you give the strength of your grace. And you are the one with your fingers, as it were, wipes away the tears already now until you wipe them away forever because we know that the time is coming when all these things that hurt us, that trouble us, will end for good and we shall rejoice in your presence forever with all the saints. Amen.